0: The following teaching is brought to you by Crosspoint Church. For sermon notes and other resources, visit go to crosspoint.com. Hi, I'm Josh Axe. I'm not the teaching pastor. Don't run out the door. Um, I'm Josh. I've been going here for my wife and our four daughters have been going here for about six months, and we love it. It's a great church. But uh, I'm going to be reading the passage tonight, so if you guys want to grab your Bibles, or if you don't have one, there's one under the seat in front of you, or your phone, whatever it wanted to be, but... um, one thing I love about this church is being able to serve. And the place I've been actually able to serve is in the tech ministry. But uh, I just want to encourage you guys all, no matter where you're serving at this church, they make it easy. They are ready for you and we can run. And, but I also want to us all to give a round of applause to the tech ministry because we got a new screen, we got a new soundboard. The, t- the only time they normally get recognized is when they mess up, mess up on a slide or a microphone. So just make sure to thank your uh, local tech guy. But uh, let's get into Acts chapter 12. We're going to start in verse 6. So here we go. The night before Peter was placed on trial, he was asleep, fastened with two chains between two soldiers. Others others stood at the gate. Suddenly there was a bright light in the cell, and an angel of the Lord stood before Peter. The angel struck him on the the side to awaken him and said, Quick, get up. And the chains fell off his wrists. Then the angel told him, Go get dressed and put on your sandals. And he did. Now put on your coat and follow me, the angel ordered. So Peter left the cell following the angel. But all the time he thought this was a vision. He didn't realize that this was actually happening. They passed the first and second guard post and came to the iron gate leading to the city. And this opened for them all by itself. So they passed through and started walking down the street. And then the angel suddenly left them. Peter finally came to his senses. It's really true, he said. The Lord has sent his angel and saved me from Herod and from what, the, from what the other Jewish leaders had planned to do to me. When he realized this, he went to the home of Mary, the mother of John Mark, where many were gathered for prayer. He knocked on the door in the gate, and the servant girl named Rhoda came to, up, came to open it. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed that instead of opening the door, she ran back inside and told everybody, Peter is standing at the door. You're out of your mind, they said. When she insisted, they decided it must be his angel. Meanwhile, Peter continued knocking. When they finally opened the door and saw him, they were amazed. He mentioned for them to quiet down and told them how the Lord had led him out of prison. Tell James and the other brothers what happened. He said, and then he went to another place. Thank you, Josh. Yeah.
1: This is probably my favorite story in the book of Acts. We've been in this, you'll see on the front of your program today. Today. We've been here for about 30-some weeks right now. We're on episode 31. Uh, there are 30, whatever we're at. There's a note sheet on the back of that program, too, if you want to get that out. Might be, maybe we say some things here. There'll be some fill-in-the-blanks and stuff we'll look at here in a bit. But some backstory. The uh-oh thing that happens here is this. At the home, at John Mark's home, where all these Christians maybe are gathering, somewhere in there, they're sitting there because James... Has been arrested. He's in prison, and they're kind of praying for him and all that. All of a sudden, they get at their door this execution order, and they think the execution order, execution of a search warrant, execution of uh, of something to come in question. And all of a sudden, they go, "No, wait, wait, he's been executed." Like Peter and James, like the two guys that are the churches right at this point, about about fifteen to twenty thousand people that are following Jesus, meeting in the temple and in homes and all that kind of stuff. And James gets killed, and they're going, Whoa, 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 this, this has happened before. Back in chapter 7 of Luke, I think episode eight, 16 or 17, whatever it was. Stephen, it had been a whole mob action thing where they made he, he got they he enraged everybody, this big mob form. They took him outside the t- town and stoned him. But that was kind of this big emotional explosion reaction. This was more of like the king arrested him. And before really a trial even happened, James gets killed, which is interesting where it says in chapter 12, verse 5, but while Peter was in prison, the church prayed very earnestly for him because Herod saw his poll numbers tick up when he kills James. So he goes, well, I'll go get the other guy. I'll get the other fool. Peter will take care of him. His numbers go up and the church is going, well, this is bad now because this is not just being arrested, being mocked, being beaten even. Peter's life is at stake here. This is the, uh, you'll see in your note sheet here today, this is the uh, Shawshank Redemption. Anybody seen that movie? One of the great films of all time. This is the prequel. Uh, The prequel to Shawshank Redemption. Warner Brothers and Fox thinks they come up with these all great, amazing movies and stories. Scripture's got them beat by a couple thousand years in this. And, And Peter is in prison. It says that he's securely guarded. You know why he's securely guarded by Herod? Because Herod has heard the stories. They've arrested these guys before. You can read about it in chapter three, four, and five. These guys get out of prison. Angels come and let them out of prison. They go back to the temple. So Herod going, well, we're not going to do that this time. So he put squads and squads, like completely overkill in the sense of, uh, of having soldiers that are going to make sure this guy's not getting out of jail, not us. And it tells us in... Uh, let me get to the verse, uh, chapter, uh, chapter t- uh, 12, verse seven. It says, suddenly there was a bright light in the cell and the angel of the Lord was there, but that doesn't wake Peter up. He's asleep. So it says the angel doesn't walk up to him and just kind of go, hey, Pete, Pete, wake up. It says that the angel hit him to wake him had to kick him, hit him to wake him up, go, hey, this guy's like, come on, get out of bed. What you sometimes wanna do with your teenagers when it's time for them to get up and go to school? Yeah, of course, nobody ever does. You can't do that anymore. You have to give them a massage and coffee and everything else. But back when I was a kid, you didn't get up. We'll just hit you. (laughs) Oh, poor little baby girl. Little newborn. It's okay. It's my voice. I just have that effect on children. Um, And the angel says, get up. Let's go. Tells him to get dressed. I'm thinking, was Peter naked here? Because it says he had to put, get dressed means he didn't have clothes on, maybe, whatever, this is not, we don't have this version of the story in our kids' men, under school coloring books. Naked Peter in prison, about ready to get out, we're not doing that, but the angel tells him to get dressed, uh, gets him outside, and it tells us in verse 11, Peter, Peter leaves the cell, uh, and he's not quite sure what's going on. In verse 11, it says, it, 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 verses 8 to 10, he has no idea what's going on. And finally, he comes to his senses and goes, oh my gosh, this is really happening. And, and Peter thinks he's having like a vision. And we're going, well, like he knows he's not asleep anymore. He's been woken up. I've never had a vision from God. I've had weird, funky dreams from time to time. Was that from God or not? A vision is different than a dream. A vision happens when you're fully awake, fully aware of things, fully conscious, and all of a sudden, you go and there's some kind of altered state. Now, I've never had that happen to me. I know Christians who have had it happen where God really speaks to them through a, a vision kind of thing, where God appears and speaks, and dramatic things happen. And Peter had had. If you look back in chapter in chapter ten, a couple chapters ago, Peter one time a, a few weeks ago was up on the rooftop, hungry, and God gives him a vision. Of this read about it, it's awesome. What's going on there? So Peter just probably figures, well, I'm having one of those weird vision things. Again, this isn't really happening because it's, it's so surreal and so bizarre. And finally, he has one of those OMG moments. He looks around and he's out on the street because the angels left and he's going, what, 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 what just happened here? It's so surreal, like he had this vision dream thing and all of a sudden he finds himself out on a street, and nobody's around, uh, and he wonders what happened, verses 12 to 14, it tells us that he goes to John Mark's house. Just so you guys know, the John, Mark, uh, the, uh, John Mark's mom, John Mark is the guy that writes the book of Mark in our Bible, and it's probably not his particular version of the story, he's probably writing it on behalf of Peter. It's probably Peter's eyewitnesses and Peter's account and Mark puts it together for him. So they're gathered at this house and, and Peter shows up there and we have to know some things. Some of you actually have seen houses like this here in our area even, but back then, Especially a person, and probably well off, because they could put a lot of people there. Most houses back then did not, if you were just poor or middle class, you couldn't gather a bunch of people, because they were very, very, very small, but bigger houses they would gather, and so John Mark and his family probably have some level of effluence, and they're in a bigger house, but there would be an outside gate on the street, and then a courtyard here, and then like the door of the house. And the gate's locked, and Peter's there rattling the gate, whatever. They're inside going, shut up, Peter. We're praying for you. <laughs> That's what they're doing. Like, they, they can't be bothered. But they send one of the girls out, Rhoda. Rhoda, the, the, the girl, one of the girls that was on staff there at the house. And clearly, you have staff there. They take care of cleaning up and serving and cooking and all that kind of thing. Go out. What's that noise out there? If it's a cat or whatever, just get, get rid of it. And she goes out there, opens the door to the house, and here's Peter I go. Hey guys, hey guys, sh- let me in. And goes, it's Peter. And she has this moment where she's so overjoyed that she freaks out and she does dumb stuff. Because think about it: if you're Peter and you just got out of prison and you don't know how you got out of prison, really, you kind of remember some things about an angel or maybe something like that. Come and also you're by yourself out there, and you're out there at that gate, and all of a sudden down the street you hear a clatter of something. Who do you think that is? There's an APB out for you. They put 16 soldiers to guard you in the prison. They've got every soldier who's on activity at that point. Go get him. Go find him if it's been discovered. So he's thinking, guys, let me in. Let me in. But Rhoda's so overjoyed. This will sometimes happen for you and me when God does something big and dramatic and amazing in your life. You're so excited about it, you do dumb stuff. You don't think clearly. You're just like, ah, freaking out. And later you go, what was I thinking? It was so dumb. I can't believe I did that. But that sometimes happens when, when cool, amazing things happen in our lives. She goes back inside, verse 15. They look at her and they just dismiss her. They write her off as ridiculous Rhoda. Oh, sure, yeah, Peter's out there at the gate. That's impossible, Peter can't be out at the gate. We're praying for him because he's in prison right now. I don't know if you've ever done stuff like that, where God's stepping in, doing something amazing and dramatic, and you go, God, God, that's impossible for that to happen because we're praying for this right now. And God's going, "Um, hello. But uh, they they write her off as crazy. And meanwhile, Peter's out there going, "Uh, guys, Uh, guys and really nervous about our soldiers coming anytime soon and eventually they all get out there and it says that when they see him look at verse 16 when they finally opened the door and saw him they were amazed he motioned for them to be quiet down And, and the reason he has to motion them to quiet down is because guess where the soldiers are going to come looking for peter a big house where they know Christians gather all the time. They know where these Christians gather. They're going to John Mark's house, the John Mark's family's house, and you go, quiet down. There's those soldiers out there. We just keep things quiet. And then it's, it's fascinating. It says that, um, tell James, Now it's not the James that was killed. This is probably James, Jesus's little brother, who becomes a follower of Christ after the resurrection, and uh, tell him what happened. And says, and then he went on to another place, which means he wasn't like, okay, we're just gonna trust God and God will just rescue me no matter what. He goes, oh, we gotta get some safe house. It's not gonna be safe for me to stay here. Still trust God. That is when you trust God, it doesn't mean that you have to always do stupid things. He uses common sense wisdom here. We gotta get out of this house right now. This is not gonna be good for me to be here right now. It'll be good for you guys. If they find me here, they're gonna think you're part of it. And we don't know where he went, just some safe place and got, got out of there. Uh, And then we, uh, Josh didn't read these verses, but look at verse 18. At dawn, there was a great commotion among the soldiers about what happened to Peter. This is the Shawshank moment. Remember when Andy gets, Andy Dufresne, they walk, they, they get there for the morning count and they go, Dufresne, get out of your cell! And they go into the cell and then the warden comes in and goes, was he in here at nighttime at the bed check last night? Yes, he was in here. Where is he now? Uh, he's not here. Don't tell me he's not here. It's impossible for him not to be here. There's a great commotion in the cell. Herod Agrippa ordered a thorough search for him. When he couldn't be found, Herod interrogated the guards and sentenced them to death. <laughs> Kills them. It's kind of one of those ugly parts of a real fallen world living, but sometimes for God to do miraculous things, people die. It's... it's nasty, like, that's like not fair to them. They didn't do anything wrong. God just did a miracle here. And I can't explain all that away and go, how come God couldn't have made everything nice and neat? Because God is a God who lives and works in the real world, not the fantasy world of everything nice and neat and all tightly wound, and we can make it all, program every single part of it. Peter gets out of prison. I wonder, in your life, have you ever had a moment where you prayed for something, for God to do something in your life, and and God did it, anybody? Or are you just raising your hands because you're at church, you're supposed to say that? (laughs) No, yeah, and you know how it is with prayer requests, when we pray to God, we tell you guys all the time, God always answers prayer, sometimes God says no. He just says no for whatever reasons. Uh, He said, I'm sure the church was praying for James to get out of prison. The guy who gets executed by Herod, God said no to that one. Sometimes God doesn't say no, God says slow. Just It's gonna happen, but not here, not right now. It's gonna come at some point. But a lot of times God says yes. And so rather than today look at all the reasons why God does or doesn't answer prayer and how much faith do we have in the obstacles to prayer, I thought let's just have some fun today and take a look at how we respond when God says yes, and I want every, just about every single one of you today, every, some of you need to be convicted about something in your life and heart and soul. I know that you came to church, came to church on it this weekend, and there's some stuff God wants to do some work in your life. He, he's gonna convict you of some things. But overall today, what I think God wants to do is encourage you like crazy. Because some people walk, some people come to church and think it's only a good church if I feel terrible afterwards, if I feel all, oh, about stuff. No, no. What, what if you just be excited about something? Look what God did here. And so to be excited and celebrate, and we're gonna take a look at not how we should celebrate as much as to take a look at the different ways in the story that people celebrated what God was doing and a couple other scriptures of some other places where God steps into something amazing and to say, oh, that's fantastic. that's kind of how I do it. That's kind of how I roll. That's my jam. That's my role. That's how I celebrate when God answers prayer. And then some of you might go, oh, that's interesting. I got it, there's probably some things here I might want to work on. So it might, it's not so much a, come on, stop being a selfish pig and be more grateful or whatever. It's more like I could fold that into some things here when it comes to responding when God answers prayer. So there's uh, seven or eight numbers there of different ways that, that we respond when God says yes. When God says yes. You can see it here in the story. Look, look back here in chapter 12, verse nine, the the last sentence of verse nine, it says, he didn't realize it was actually happening. One of our first responses when God answers prayer is to be completely oblivious. And usually we're oblivious when God's answering the prayer. We have no idea what's going on and it's only later on we go, that's kind of weird. I look back on it now, it was, and you put it all together. But in the moment, you're completely clueless that God is answering a prayer. And Peter's having one of those dramatic answers to prayer, and not even Peter gets it. So if you get are oblivious to things and go, how come I'm so slow on the uptake? You're in good company. With the, well, for Catholic brothers and sisters, the first pope of the church. The, the leader of the, of the church as it gets going out there. Peter was a little slow. On getting it all figured out. So sometimes your response is just, I'm oblivious. I had no idea what was going on. It's only later on that you get it. And then sometimes, number two, we can be, we can dismiss it. We can do what they did when Rhoda says, Hey, it's Peter out there. Our prayers work. They go, Oh, crazy, Rhoda. And we write those stupid, silly, for some of you that aren't yet Christians or you became a Christian later in life. You remember what you used to do with this people at church would talk about God answered my prayer. You go, oh, brother, whatever. You just come in there and they get so oh, amazing about it and they use all this God frothy talk. You go, God, these weirdo Christians. That's what bit what's going on here. She's a weirdo and we write them off as stupid and ridiculous when God answers a prayer. And sometimes what we do we may not write it off like, oh, that's dumb and ridiculous, but we will explain it away. And here's how Christians explain it away. Here's the, here's the little church answer how we explain it away. Oh, that was just kind of a coincidence. I want to write this down. It won't be a, it won't be a, a thing to write. It won't be a, a, up on the screen or all that. But coincidence is when providence is anonymous. Coincidence is when God steps in and doesn't go to some big dramatic, send an angel down there. He just sends healing, sends provision, does some things in amazing ways to answer your prayers, answer your hopes and dreams, but he doesn't put his name uh, at the bottom of it. Coincidence is when Providence remains anonymous. This week we were talking about this, and Katie, who's our director of operations, stuff like that, we were talking about this, or Katie or Sam or somebody on our team, talked about, uh, there's a great story about Abraham and Sarah in the what we call the Old Testament in the first five books of the Bible called the Pentateuch and God comes to them and says, they're childless, they don't have any children at all and he tells them, God actually shows up, not just a voice from heaven, but God, what he did when he came here with Jesus, put himself into a human form and shows up at their tent and says, hey, this time next year you're gonna have a kid. At this point, Sarah's 90, Abraham's 99 and Sarah laughs at the idea that God could answer a prayer like that. You ever done that with your kids? With your finances, with stuff going on, you just go, (laughs) whatever. It's this idea, not even prayer would work for this. We just kind of laugh. It's just absurd to think, I wouldn't even pray about this. It's just dumb, it's impossible. Sometimes we can be dismissive of God's provision. And then when, when they show up, when Peter Shows up at the house and Rhoda's out there at the gate, and then they they walk into the house. Uh, number three, we freak. We, we how we respond when God answers our prayers? We freak out. When God does something amazing, it's like, dang this! Look at this! This is amazing! Look what God did here, and we'll start freaking out about it. Especially if it's a big dramatic thing. Like I was talking to somebody this week who had some crazy thing with something in their body, and all this stuff was there, and they had documented case study stuff, pictures in the file. And a week later, it was gone. And there was no treatment. They hadn't started any kind of treatment, anything for it. You start freaking out when that stuff happens. There's this joy and excitement. And sometimes you'll be like Rhoda. You'll be like so ridiculous, you won't even think clearly through about who you should thank or whatever. You're just uh, freaking out over it. There's a great uh, verse Great story in the book of Mark when this happens. Mark chapter four. You can turn there if you want. I think it'll be up here on the screen. Um, The disciples who are mainly fishermen who've been out on the lake, the Sea of Galilee a lot, they're out there with Jesus one night and a big massive storm comes up and they're all going, this is not just some normal storm. They're like, we're gonna die here. This is one of those storms like you don't go out in this kind of storm And they're all freaking out with Jesus. Guys, don't you care we're going to die? And Jesus says, be quiet. And they think, oh gosh, he's talking as he's mad at us. No, he wasn't talking to them. He was talking to the storm. Which, like anybody could go, hey, storm, stop it. Like there, you go, that guy's a nut. Until the storm listens. Because the only thing more terrifying than a storm that could kill you is the one who can speak that thing out of existence like that. Look at their reaction. The disciples were absolutely terrified. Who is this man, they asked each other. Even the wind and the waves obey him. You'll have a bit of that from time to time when god steps in there and does something there you go you'll be freaked out a little bit there's other stories too though of when you get freaked out uh, we're not going to look at these verses in luke chapter 8 26 to 39 jesus there's this guy who's uh, demon possessed psychotic bizarre runs around naked they try to chain him up in the cemetery and he breaks the chains, and he just runs wild out there. And he sees Jesus uh, land up on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, and he comes running towards him naked out of his mind. Ah, are ah, you son of God! And Jesus casts the, demons, uh, casts the demons out, and they say, well, don't cast us just out anywhere. Let us go to those pigs over there. And Jesus says, fine, go ahead. And 2,000 pigs plunge off of the edge of the cliff down into the water and drown And so the people in the town see that and see they're freaked out by the fact that this guy, crazy naked Larry, crazy Demar, whoever his name is, is now sitting there, look at this, clothed and in his right mind. And Jesus wrecked a business to do it. Can I tell you right now? Jesus cares way more about reaching one person than he does about your 401k or your net worth. And if it means you got to wreck your finances to do it, he'll wreck them to go get somebody. he did right there. Now, he doesn't do it all the time. But 2,000 pigs, that's a lot of money. He just, to get rid of these demons. And so they, the people of the town says, go away and leave us alone. They're freaked out by this. We don't want any part of this. That will sometimes be what happens too when we get freaked out. We're not just overjoyed, we're we're freaked out. And then there's the uh, number four. Number three and four kind of go together. There's the... The OMG moment, i talk about this amazed. I have the word written down here. It's not gonna be up on the screen because you can spell it if you can spell it. Incredulous joy. This is the no. And for those of you that are newer Christians, profanity comes out of your mouth when God answers prayers like this. Holy, I had this happen here at church a few weeks ago. Somebody was so God-working in their heart and I'm not gonna tell you, use the quote for what she said to me in the back of the house. But this is what it means to be all kinds of people. People that don't know that you're not supposed to use those kind of words, when you just, what just kind of comes out naturally. So they're freaked out by it, not thinking straight. Leaves Peter out in the cold, and they were, they were just overjoyed, freaked out by it. It reminds me of a story in Luke chapter 17. Uh, keep something wherever you're at and find Luke 17. It's one of my favorite stories in the whole Bible. In Luke chapter 17, Jesus is just walking through a town or a village and these people that have leprosy, 10 of them have leprosy, and they see Jesus, and they're unclean. They can't walk up to Jesus. There's all rules and regulations about contagious diseases like that back then that could kill you. And so they beg, they cry out to Jesus, Jesus, have mercy on us, wondering if oh, we've heard about this, Jesus of Nazareth, maybe somehow will do it. Jesus, go show yourself to the priest. And they went and turned around, and while they were walking running to get to a synagogue, get to a temple, wherever. So as they were walking, their gnarled things where skin had been eaten away, where there was not finger, all of a sudden they go, wait a minute. I got fingers again. I have ears again. Places where my cheeks have been rotted out and rotted away because of the lack of nerve endings and all this stuff. They're being healed as they go. What do you suppose their reaction is? Joy freaking out, joy, gratitude uh, that's just going on in there. But then look what happens here. It says one of them, before he got to the temple, came back. It's verse 15. I'm not sure what's gonna be on the screen, but we'll eventually get to what's on the screen. One of them, when he saw that he was healed, came back to Jesus shouting, praise God. He fell to the ground at Jesus' feet, thanking him for what he had done. The man was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, didn't I heal 10 men? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give God glory to God except this foreigner? And Jesus said to the man, stand up and go. Your faith has healed you. One of the ways, it's not here in this story we looked at in Acts today, but it's such a powerful way, and I'm sure there was gratitude because they're summarizing the story. They're not giving us all the details. When God answers your prayer and good things happen in your life, whether it's about fertility or whether it's about money, or about health, or about a job, whatever it is, are you grateful? Yeah, Yeah, the answer is you're grateful. But here's what I want to tell you. Gratitude that's just felt, but not expressed, is like buying a present, wrapping it up, and then putting it in the closet. The other person never gets it. In order for gratitude to be really gratitude, it has to be spoken and expressed. So let me just yell at you for a second. Not yell at you, but this is my face. Uh, Moms and dads, with your children, when they do a great job, tell them thank you. Don't, well, that's what they're supposed to do, they're just kids, they're supposed to do it. Spouses with each other, this is free marriage counseling. You'll pay hundreds of dollars for this right now. When they do something nice for you, don't just go, "Mm, whatever, take a moment. My wife did this for me today. I was, it's a long, crazy story of our dog food with the boiled chicken and all squish it up, get the bones out. And usually she does it, but I thought, I'm going to do this for her. And she took a moment before she was leaving to go out to a wedding shower and just came up and just said, Grab my arm right here and said, Thank you. And give me a kiss. I'm just telling you, stuff like that, you know, what's the big deal? Like making, boiling chicken and taking the bones out, what's the big deal? Saying thank you is a, is a cool thing. It's good for our heart and soul, it's good for the relationship. Um, so, the fifth thing to write down here, if it may be up on the screen a lot, is gratitude. Expressed gratitude, not just felt. Gratitude that just felt only helps you. For gratitude really to be gratitude and really be meaningful, it should be expressed. There's also another great story that's in the Bible. It's from 2 Chronicles 32, 24 and 25. You might have to look at table of contents to find that. We're gonna put the verses up here. Katie, uh, on our she's our director of operations here at Crosspoint. We were brainstorming this and it was so good. Uh, I had forgotten about this little gem of a story in here about a king named Hezekiah, who was overall one of the good kings of Israel. It wasn't the guy all worshiping idols and all crazy, sketchy stuff. But after a while, it says in verse 24 of chapter 32, about that time, Hezekiah became deathly ill. He prayed to the Lord, who healed him and gave him a miraculous sign. And I want to tell you, I'm not going to read the whole story for you. I have the verses there on your note sheet. There, go back and look at the story on your own this week. Read your Bible on your own. Don't just take my word for stuff here, but look at it. Because here, Hezekiah gets really sick. He prays to God, and God comes in and says, "God's heard your prayer. You're going to be healed." And it says, and then God gave him a sign, a miraculous sign. And he says, "What do you want to see happen here?" And Hezekiah thinks about it and goes well. Normally, the sundial shadow goes this way, as it gets later in the day, make it go backward, three notches. And God did it for him. Did the sundial going backward have anything to do with him being cured? Nothing. God just gave him a sign to say, "You can count on this. This is going to happen." And he got better. Like, that's amazing, that's fantastic. And so we were just talking about that. Like, God, here's another example of answered prayer. But look at the next verse here. This is the one that gives us a little bit of a, hmm. Take a moment and pause when God blesses our life. But Hezekiah did not respond appropriately to the kindness shown him. And he became proud. So the Lord's anger came against him and against Judah and Jerusalem. And you can read in the story what he does here. At this point, Babylon is becoming a major world empire. It's Iran, Iraq, Persia over there. They're, they're growing and getting bigger. And some, uh, some ambassadors, some envoys come from Babylon to come check out Jerusalem. And Hezekiah wants to show off about how awesome he is and what a great kingdom it is. Because Hezekiah was probably one of the greatest kings in terms of economic expansion, everything he had there. And he shows off. And instead of giving glory to God, instead of saying having gratitude, instead of going, whoa, 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 this is a people from a foreign country because they're just there to check everything out because we're going to find out in just a few years they're coming to get all this stuff out of Jerusalem and take it back to Babylon with them. God says, oh, Hezekiah, what are you doing here? Instead of giving glory to God and being grateful and humble, he goes, oh, look what I did. Uh, number six here, the way we sometimes respond to answered prayers, we squander it or we waste it. God does something amazing in our life and instead of receiving the blessings and staying humble, we start to go, look at my kids. Look at my, oh gosh, if you live in Temecula now for more than five, six years, look how, look, how, look I'm, I got $400,000. Look what I did with my net worth by just living in a place. And it starts to be, look what I did, look what I did. And we start to think, look what I did. And God wants to go, hey, man, if you would recognize the success that all comes directly from my hand, from my providence and my care, through common grace and special grace given to you, do not ever get to a place. There's some verses in Deuteronomy, and I don't remember what the references are. I think it's at the end. Of, read the whole book of Deuteronomy sometime. You'll get it. God says, when I've given you blessings and you start to achieve everything I've given you, that's the time to be careful. Because that's the moment where you start to think, look at us. And then we start to think, you know what? The rules don't really apply to us as much anymore. We can kind of play fast and loose with integrity and character and all that stuff. He goes, no, no, don't do that. And it's so easy to do when we're successful. When we're successful and God blesses us with stuff, we can squander it and waste it. And this is what Hezekiah did. So it's a little sober-minded warning there. Let's be careful about that. Number seven. Uh, Number seven uh, is bold expectancy is a great response when God answers a prayer. And some of you who've been Christians for a while, you're awesome. When we gather to pray, you talk to God like God's really listening and you know he's gonna do something with this. You know why you know that? Because he did it before, dang it. And we sing a song here. It's, I, we didn't think about this till too late to get it in the set list. But it had that song, I, it's, it's the chorus is, I've seen you move, you move the mountains, and I believe you'll do it again. And so there's a sense of, again, God, do it again. No, you can do it. And there's a bit, there's a verse here that I want to have us just, it came to mind, putting this down here, that in John 6, to 27, it tells the story of right after Jesus had fed probably 20,000 people with a little kid's happy meal, 20,000 people. It says the crowds followed him, and they go, we want to see another sign, another miracle. And Jesus says, you're not looking for me for me. What you want is just more stuff. And so we've got to be careful with that bold expectancy that we don't become little whiny, little petulant, little preschoolers just going, do it again, do it again, do it again. I know you did it before, but do it again, do it again, and not trusting God and going, okay, God, I've seen you do it before and, and miss the point behind the miracle because sometimes, hmm, this just comes to me right now. This isn't even on any of the notes here. You know the reason sometimes God does miracles for you? It's not even about a miracle. It's not even about the big bonus or the healing of cancer or a date or a restored marriage. You know what it's about? It's about the fact that you're gonna go, dang, there's a God in heaven and he heard me. God heard me. The creator of the universe was listening to me at 3.47 p.m. on a Thursday afternoon. And there's roughly two billion Christians on the planet right now. He was listening to me and he did something about it. That'll do something to your faith. And yeah, that's another thing. Got to keep going. <laughs> Number eight. Sometimes what happens too, in the midst of when God does something amazing and when God says yes, is sometimes there's difficult questions. Think about it Jimmy Jr. James's little son. James is the guy who got killed at the beginning of this story here today. Jimmy Jr. goes, "Mommy, how come Tommy's dad, Peter, how come Tommy's dad got delivered from prison, and our dad died?" That sometimes there's difficult questions. It's it's the bit like for my single friends out there, how come? He gets a date, and she gets a date and has people, and uh, Why not me? I, I, I'm, not, I'm doing this all right. Think about that with your finances. with marriage, with a restored marriage, where God, if you've done it for them and them, Steve's told those stories about that couple over there, and that couple over there, the amazing thing God did. Any time now? It can create difficult questions. And you know my answer to those difficult questions are? Have no idea. Have no idea why not you. We don't get oftentimes those answers in the scriptures. There's a story about a guy named Job who went through unbelievable suffering in his life. And it's awful, it's terrifying. The book of Job talks about it. And at the end, God does some things to restore his life. But you know what? Job never gets to hear what was really going on When his business got crushed, when his kids got killed, when he got crazy sick, he never gets to hear what was really going on there. We get to hear it. He never knows the backstory on why, all those why kinds of questions. And then I was was fascinating talking to a, a woman on our staff who's gone through some cancer in her life and because of treatment and prayers and all that, it looks like God's delivered her. It's fantastic, it's amazing. She said, you know, here's the crazy thing is, it creates weird questions for me too. Because then I see people at our church who are suffering. And I think, why me and not them? They call it like survivor's guilt sometimes, of, of stuff like it just, so this is just real life sometimes, and so I'm more telling you this not to say, have some survivor's guilt, that's a good response, or have, some of this is just be the natural thing that's gonna happen when you see prayers answered. There can be difficult questions there. So I don't know where you find yourself, in any of these different ways, people tend to respond. When God says yes, here's the bottom line. You'll see it there on your note sheet today. We always celebrate. Whether the answer is yes or no or so, we're always gonna celebrate. And we celebrate, first of all, miraculous perseverance. That even if God, even if God didn't heal my, my husband, Even if my marriage collapsed. Even if. You need to know this today. We sometimes find ourselves in valleys of of difficulty and suffering. And just so you know, my prayer is always, God, redirect me, steer me around the valley. Or if I find myself in the valley, Get me out of here as soon as possible. But you need to know today if you find yourself in a valley, or you will find yourself in a valley, store this one up right here. The power to deliver you from the valley is the same power that gives you the ability to persevere through it. Same miraculous power that gets you through, that gets you out of the valley and solves your problems, is the power that God puts in you to persevere and get through it. Some of you need to store that away. That's how it's going to be sometimes. But again, we're not here today looking at the story. It's not about miraculous perseverance. about, you know, James gets killed, and then Peter gets killed, and how the church had to deal with trials. Oh, no. We, We just celebrate miraculous answers. When God steps in and does something amazing, let's get excited about it. And, and uh, a guy named Charles Spurgeon, a famous pastor from years and years ago, I have the quote up here on the screen. It says, we are too prone to engrave our trials in marble and write our blessings in sand. And you know, how that, you know why that is, don't you? Because trials hurt more. They, they do more things to imprint themselves on us. So that thing, when we get the engraving tool out and that thing is etched in marble and pff, we're never gonna forget that. Blessings come and answers to prayer, it's like it goes in the sand and then this tide comes in and washes that all away again. Which means then we're going to celebrate, and there's some verses here today. Psalm 66. The the book of Psalms is just a book of songs and prayers. And I encourage you, if you struggle with prayer like I do sometimes, like a lot of times, something I don't want to pray here, just open the book of Psalms and just start reading the Psalms and putting your names in there. Where he says, God, you did, like for example, at the end of chapter 66... The whole thing is, it starts out with, shout joyful praises to God. Come and see, look at verse 5, what our God has done. God, we went through fire and flood, but you brought us to a place of abundance. But look at it, verse 16. Come and listen. All you here fear fear God, and I'll tell you what he did for me. I'm not going to tell myself and just talk to myself. I'll tell you what he did for me. For I cried out to him for help, praising him as I spoke. Super important thing here. When you cry out to God for help, are you still in pain? But in the midst of the pain, praising him, not after I spoke, as I spoke. If I had not confessed the sin in my heart, the Lord wouldn't have listened, but God did listen. He paid attention to my prayer. Praise God, who didn't ignore my prayer, withdraws unfailing love for me. And guys, there's all kinds of verses in Psalms all over the place about we take some time when it comes to our relationship with God. When God says yes, we're going to celebrate when God says yes. Three big waves, three big ways to do it. Uh, The first one, the band's gonna come up right now. We're gonna give you a chance to do this. First way is we worship God. We sing songs to God. And some of you go, how can we sing songs at church? Um, Because it just helps us express worship and gratitude for God, whether in the midst of the pain in the valley or on the mountaintop. Worship is one of the best ways we can do that. And then we also express gratitude to God. Uh, I've got a thing we've done, I didn't bring it out here this weekend because it'll be for later, uh, of a gratitude challenge where you just sit down with a blank piece of paper and if you're 59 years old, write down 59 things you're grateful for to God. Sometimes it'll be big honking amazing things. You know what's on my list? Chili cheese dogs from Wiener Schnitzel. <laughs> Shut up, it's my list. Those, I'm, I'm deeply grateful to God for that. But you put all those things on there it keeps, you, it keeps you, and I have it above my desk. So I look at it all the time, and remind myself, oh yeah, that person there and what they did for me and great. Anyway, just gratitude. And we, hmm, we don't just go, I feel gratitude. I'm going to talk about it. I'm going to tell people that I'm grateful to God for what he's done. And then I'm not going to talk to people about God. I'm going to actually talk to God about it. Because sometimes in our prayers, our prayers are just freaking out, making us more anxious. They're not helping us at all. Because we're just freaking out in our prayers. And God says, hey, how about you tell me thank you in this? It'll be good for you. As you tell me thank you. And and don't miss this, guys. God is not up in heaven going, I'm having a bad day. I wish they'd be grateful to me. I wish they'd worship me some more. We don't express worship and gratitude because God needs it. We express worship and gratitude because we need it. We're hardwired for this. If we don't, things get all jacked up in our life. And then the other thing that we do to, to respond to God is remember what he's done for us. And there's lots of ways to celebrate that in gratitude. But the most amazing thing we do to celebrate and remember what God has done for us is to come to tables of communion when we gather. Communion is, is a celebration of the body and blood of Jesus. The night that he, the night that he before he was crucified, they took, he took bread and juice and said, this is now my body and my blood given for you. Eat and drink this and... Remember me. And the good news about that for you today is if you're in the valley right now, and you're in trials and difficulty, and whether your life turns around and amazing things happen for you, and all things being equal, I vote for that. I vote for pay raises. I vote for joy and pleasure evermore, all that kind of stuff. But if not, I can celebrate the fact that 2,000 years ago, the Son of God came here for me. And he secured my eternal future so that if I have this little blip of time where bad, terrible things happen, it's not turning around anytime soon. Eternity of eternal, exquisite joy forever. And then if things are going great for you right now. You remember the most important thing here is not about your granite countertops and your fancy schmancy cars or your four vacation homes or your $2 million in your 401k. Does anybody have that here? Probably not. But Whatever it is, because you know, my joy and happiness are not in my happenings and my circumstances. My ultimate joy comes from the fact that 2,000 years ago, God did this for me. And what that'll keep you from is idolatry of making those things be central to your life, like Hezekiah did, and instead just receive them as blessings. And so, uh, our prayer to me is at the back today—you may need prayer for something today. Go back there and get prayer. Uh, the lights will go down here in just a couple couple seconds. Um, Come to tables of communion in the four corners of the room. You just get up and do that whenever you feel like you want to. Some people will bring that back to their seat and take a moment there to remember Jesus with the bread and the juice. Sometimes people will be right there, uh, however you want to do that today. So Jesus, today, Hmm. thank you. Thank you for Everything that goes across my mind right now, and I'm not going to say it all right now, it would take too long. We want to sing for a bit. Thank you. God, we respond to you tonight from hearts that are blown away that the God of the universe pays attention
0: to us. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast. For more resources, check out go to crosspoint.com.